Well, it is my uh, privilege to share with you this morning from God's Word as uh, Jesse and Nancy, as you heard, are in Arkansas. Please continue to pray for them. Uh, we're going to be continuing through Psalm 103. Uh, we've been walking through that the past few months uh, in 2023. And this particular psalm, if you don't know much about it, is a song of praise. It is a song celebrating God's goodness and his love for his people. It's a reminder that we cannot forget what God has done for us as we just sung, especially when we've walked away from him. Once we put our faith in Jesus, something special happens in our life. We become part of God's family. We are his, which means we become beneficiaries of God's mercy and his goodness. Not because anything that you or I have done, it's not because of what we have done, but because of God's goodness. Uh, last week uh, was my birthday, last Sunday. Uh, turned 38 and had a good time uh, celebrating uh, with family and friends, doing some fun things. Um, but I'm going to, they don't know I'm going to do this this morning, but I'm going to brag on my in-laws who are here uh, visiting with us. Um, uh, on Sunday after church, we went over there for lunch, as we often do. But I have to say, if you're, when we, we know that when we go over to my in-law's house for lunch, we're going to eat good. We're going to eat real good, because there's usually about four courses. Um, when I get there, there's always appetizers waiting on the counter, uh, chips and salsa, veggies and dip. My mother-in-law makes the best homemade ranch. It's my favorite. And last week, she made my favorite appetizer, which is fried pickles. I love fried pickles. And if you want to know where you can find the best fried pickles in Orlando, they're at Vanberry's. Okay, I'm just letting you know, off Orange, they have the best fried pickles of any restaurant that I've been to in Orlando. So if you're into that, make sure you check them out. It's great. But so we have all these appetizers, and I pretty much fill up before we actually have lunch. And then my father-in-law is a grill master. He loves to grill out, and he grilled out burgers and hot dogs. And he always has to make a special hamburger just for me. It has to be cooked perfectly. It goes on last. Just so you know, it's perfect. And so we eat, sit around the table, have a good time. I eat way too much, as I often do. And then it's time to sit on the couch, go into a food coma, and then it's time for cake and ice cream. You gotta have ice cream. There's always vanilla ice cream in their house because my father-in-law loves it, and then also Sammy loves ice cream. So we gotta have that. And then it's like, okay, it's time to go home. I'm tired, I've filled up. And they're like, no, wait, you can't leave yet. There's presents, there's more stuff for you. I'm like, okay, this is fantastic. And I just have to say what an amazing blessing it is to be part of such a loving family. Um, and this morning, what I want to do is remind all of you of the blessings that we have in Jesus as a part of God's family, that we are all blessed beyond anything that we could imagine. And so last week, uh, Andrew spoke on verse 12 in Psalm 103. And so we're going to be in verse 13 uh, this morning. Um, but before we get to verse, thing, verse 13, I want to do a quick review of the chapter. Is that okay? I want to go step by step 
through the blessings and benefits that uh, David lines out in this chapter because everything culminates into verse 13 to explain the who and the why we, we receive all of these amazing blessings in Jesus. And so I want to start off with verse 2. I have a lot of scripture on the screen, so we're going to follow along. We're going to start in verse 2 and go to verse 12, and then we're going to end up in verse 13. So he starts off in verse 2 in Psalm 103. He says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. See, David is making a point here of saying that God has not shortchanged us on the amazing gifts and love that he has shown his people. God has not shortchanged us on what he has given. But often our lack of gratitude or thanksgiving keeps us from remembering and enjoying the benefits of being a child of God. So what has God done for us? What are his benefits? Are you ready this morning? We're going to just quickly bullet point through these different uh, benefits that we have that God has given us. So in verse 3, it says, he who forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases. So God forgives all of our sin, not just a few, but every single sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us. It's done away with. It's all forgiven. And then it says, he heals all of our diseases. So it's not just a spiritual regeneration that we experience, but it's also a physical regeneration, and he promises that he will give us a new body when we are present with him when Jesus returns. This also means that Jesus, that God is not just Lord over all the spiritual things, he is Lord over all the physical things as well. And then moving on to verse 4, it says, he redeems your life from the pit. The grave is no longer your destination, okay? He has redeemed your life. Salvation is yours. Your brokenness, every dark and self-destructive thought that you may have had about yourself is replaced with a new identity in Jesus. He has given you a new life. You are no longer bound for the grave, but your destiny is with Jesus. And then he says, he crowns you with love and compassion. He has taken what is broken in your life and he has made you new. Essentially, he has made us royalty because we are part of the kingdom of God, part of his family, and you receive benefits of his love and mercy. And then in verse 5, it goes on to say, he satisfies your desires with good things which means God provides everything we need to live a good and holy life and to serve him well. And he offers us something that is so much more satisfying than anything that the world can offer us. He is living water. He is the bread of life. He is everything that we need. And he satisfies every longing in our heart with his presence. And then moving on, verse 6, he works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed which means that God does not forget those who are on the outside, and he's always working for the good of everybody. And he is present with those who are persecuted for his name's sake. And then in verse 7, he says, he made known his ways to Moses, which pretty much means God has revealed himself. God is not hidden. He is accessible. 
He has revealed himself in Jesus, saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that God wants to reveal his power, his glory, and his love for the world through Jesus, but also through his church. God has revealed himself and made himself known. And then in verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. See, God shows his goodness to us when he withholds his wrath and his judgment because his love is patient with us. Even though we continue to sometimes fall into sin because of our flesh, God has not stopped displaying his love towards each and every one of us because his love has no limits. It doesn't run out. And then verse 9, which is a continuation of the previous verse, is that he will not be angry forever. God's end goal is always forgiveness. When we sin against God, he always provides a way for reconciliation with him. He doesn't stay angry with us, but offers us mercy to come back to him. And then in verse 10, it says, he doesn't deal with us or treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Which means we need to be honest about our sin in our life. That there is sin that is destructive and is in direct rebellion against God and who he is. And it's there and it needs to be dealt with. Each one of us is guilty of sin against God. But he doesn't give us what we deserve. Why? Let's go on to verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. God displayed his love for us by sending Jesus to receive the punishment for our sin by enduring the cross. And then now in verse 12, this is what Andrew touched on last week. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so, do, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When we repent of our sin and follow Jesus, he takes our sin and he puts it as far away from us as it can possibly go. It's removed. Some of us are still holding on to our sin. Some of us are still holding on to the things of the past. But if God has forgiven it, it is done. It is over. It has been forgiven. God's not thinking about it anymore. He's not holding on to it later to hold against you. He's removed it. And so now we are at verse 13, which is where I really want to land this morning. And this is the who and the why we receive these benefits. It says in verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So why does God do all these things? Why do we receive all the benefits that we just talked about? Because God is a loving father. It's who he is. It's a part of his character. Everything God does flows out of his character, out of his love for his creation, for his people. What is your view of God this morning? Do you see him as a loving father who cares for his children? Our response to God is heavenly, heavily dependent on our view of him. 
If we begin to see God as a loving and caring Father, someone you can actually have a relationship with, we will come running to him for love and forgiveness. In youth group, uh, we've been going through a series on prayer, and we were uh, spending a few weeks on the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer by saying, Our Father who is in heaven... And this is so important because Jesus is pointing out to the disciples to God's warm, personal, and yet authoritative position that he has in our lives. We worship a God who is close to us about you. He cares what happens to you. And when we come to God in prayer, this should be our first view of him, that he is a loving father. Uh, 3.12 emphasizes this, and it says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. What does it mean that he disciplines us? No one likes to be disciplined. We should not take God's discipline as punishment for sin or as anger towards us, but him actually moving us away from our sin and toward holiness. That is what God does when he disciplines us. Just as a parent disciplines their child so that they no longer continue to make those same mistakes over and over again, God shows us his grace through his compassion for us. His discipline comes to us as a loving father who delights in his children. And here's the most amazing thing refreshing thing about God's compassion that he has for all of us is that it's always new. I want you to think about that for a moment. God's compassion for you is always new every single day. And what does this mean? What does it mean that his compassion is always new? It means that no matter how many times you or I mess up, how many times we fall back into sin and broken relationships. God always gives us a new opportunity to return to him. You didn't use up God's mercy yesterday so that there's none today. His compassion towards you is always new. This is what Lamentations 3 says. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This isn't a reflection on our continual sin, but about how good God is. Quick story. um, Becoming a dad, uh, I have a better understanding uh, of how my parents felt when I would do uh, things that did not please them. Uh, now, our son Sammy is only two, so there's, not, there's a little bit of a limit to how much trouble he can actually get into, but uh, we can see that he's testing the waters when he looks back at us and kind of is like, yeah, I'm going to do this anyways. And he's just testing us. But just going to get a little vulnerable here. As a kid, I got in trouble a lot, just being honest. Uh, I wouldn't say I was a bad kid, mostly a rambunctious kid. Uh, so rambunctious kids turn into pastors, so parents take note of that. Um, but I did get in trouble often at church. 
because I was a pastor's kid, and I would get disciplined a lot. I'd sometimes get spanked. I'd get sent to my room, go in timeout, and often the punishment would come at the end of the day, so I would have time to think about what I have done. Um, and so I would go to bed feeling angry or discouraged or feeling guilty about what I had done. Uh, but my biggest fear was actually the next morning. My biggest fear is that I would wake up and I would be enduring that continual discipline, that my parents would still be angry with me, that they would yell at me or take something away, or that they would actually be cold toward me and not want to talk to me because of what I had done. However, it wasn't like that at all. Those mornings I would wake up and come out to where my parents were because they would always be up first. I thought I was going to receive a cold greeting, but it was just the opposite. It was love. It was, so how'd you sleep last night? What can I make you for breakfast? It was almost like yesterday did not happen. And I'm like, who are you people? And what have you done with my parents? Is there a secret agenda going on here? Is it like I'm just walking on eggshells thinking that they're about to lay the smack down and they're just giving me a chance to wake up so I could fully take it in. But no. What I realize now, especially being a parent, is that I do not want to be angry with my children. I don't want to harbor frustration toward them especially when they make mistakes. I don't want them to stay in that state of being punished or discipline or shame. I want them to know that they are loved and I want, them to give, I want to give them the opportunity to come back, to be restored. And my parents gave me that. And that's what God does with us every single day because his compassions for us are always new. Every morning. And so I want you to know that you are not too far gone. No matter what you did yesterday, God is providing a way for you to come back to him this morning. And so continuing on in verse 13, it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And I was reading through this passage. Is that, what does that mean that the Lord has compassion on those who fear him? And I was reading through the text, and it what God kind of revealed to me here was that what God does is that he restores those who seek him. That's what Jeremiah 29 says in verses 12 through 14. It says, then you will call, this is God saying, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. This is a promise that when we seek the Lord, he brings restoration. He brings us out of captivity. You see, the compassion that is mentioned in verse 13 on those who fear him, it's not this sympathetic feeling that God has towards us. His compassion is a verb. He's directly involved in our restoration and reconciliation. He wants to lead us out of our brokenness, out of our sin. He wants to make you and I 
his. And he wants us to experience the riches, the blessings that he offers us through faith in Jesus. So what this means, if it means anything, is that God cares about you. He cares what happens to you. God cherishes his people in his heart. There is emotion towards us because he loves us. We also recognize that God has compassion on us because of our frailty. God understands our weaknesses. Hebrews 4, uh, verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus identifies with us because he became like us and yet he was without sin. God is compassionate in his nature, but he he also experienced suffering, difficulties, rejection. He knows what we face every single day. And he can have real compassion on us. And that should make us want to come to him. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him. What does that mean to come to him in fear? Does God want us to fear him? What kind of fear is he talking about? Is it a a scary kind of fear? Like when you're about to be dropped on the Tower of Terror at Disney and you know what's about to happen to you? Or when they strap you into a roller coaster and there's just a little lap bar and it's 200 feet high and you're like, this is it, this is the end of me. For any of you that's ridden, that have ridden Mako at SeaWorld, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, is it a fear of condemnation? That every time you step into the presence of God, the only thing you think that is waiting for you is judgment and shame. That's not the kind of fear that David is talking about in this passage. He's making a point that we need to have a correct view of who God is. It's not a God that you put in a box, but the God of the universe who created everything, who is powerful, who is majestic, who is glorious, that he couldn't show his face to Moses because it would destroy him. He's the God who is worshipped day and night and night and day. This is who God is, and he has compassion on you. To fear God is to live a life of holy reverence before him in understanding his power, his glory, his majesty, his timelessness, and his immensity. The fear of the Lord is to seek him and to abide in his loving presence. That is what it means to fear the Lord. Do you understand how big our God is? And yet he is a heavenly father and he loves you. He does not harbor hatred or punishment for you if you belong to him. He has compassion for you. And his compassion does not end. It has no limits. It's not three strikes and you are out. He's never going to stop loving you. He's never going to stop showing you mercy and compassion because you are his. And he is making you into the image of his son, Jesus. 
So in conclusion, what does this mean for us today? I want to invite the worship team to come back up. What does this mean for us that God is a loving, compassionate Father and that He restores those who seek Him? It means that we can come to Him no matter what we face or what our condition is. Satan's strategy is always to keep us away from God, to cause distance and division. But we need to come to our compassionate Father who never gives up on us. A few things when we come to God. When we fail, we come to Him. Why? Because He forgives. Verse 12 of this passage, just a reminder, He has removed our transgressions from us. He's the only one who can forgive sin. When we doubt, we come to Him. Why? Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the embodiment of truth, and we can trust in Him. When we fear, we bring our fears to Him. We do not have to be afraid of God. We do not have to be afraid to bring our doubts to Him, because He gives us courage. Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Do not be dismayed, because I am your God. You belong to me. When we worry, which we often do, we can bring anything to him in prayer because he cares for us and he gives us peace. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And when we are confused, when we're struggling, he brings clarity as we focus on him. Hebrews 12, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so eagle, um, that entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And when we need direction from God, we come to him because he directs our paths. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. We can come to our loving, compassionate father because he listens to us and he receives us into his presence. Do you believe this this morning? Do you believe that's who God is and that he loves you and that you are his children if you have put your faith in him, in his son, Jesus? Do you believe that his benefits are yours? They are for you. Church, God is inviting us this morning to know him as our compassionate father, to receive the benefits as his people, his children, and his church seek him and make him the pursuit of our lives. Don't wait. He is inviting you into his presence. Let us begin by worshiping him as our compassionate father. Would you pray with me?